already told you who I was. I was going to tell you that I was Pastor Joe, but I just really had a rough week. <laughs> Actually, didn't have a rough week. We spent the week with all of our kids and grandkids. There are 19 of us total. Uh, our, our second oldest grandson just got married about three weeks ago, so we have a new granddaughter. And uh, that's, that's a delight because our, our granddaughters are outnumbered five to three. Now it's five to four. And if we could just get our oldest grandson on the ball, <laughs> we'll have some great grandkids hopefully one of these days. And I thought I should just tell you, anytime Pastor Joe tells you a story about us and you want the other side of the story... Just stop us and ask us, because there are two sides to every story. Don't you know? There are two sides to every story. And uh, I've been here for some of his stories that I thought, I should stand up and give the rest of the story. <laughs> I won't do it. By the way, uh, <laughs> some of you also know that, uh, that my lovely wife comes along, Joe's mom comes along with us. And uh, Doris, if you'll just stand. We celebrated 56 years of marriage Friday. <clears throat> she was 10. <laughs> Actually, truth, she, she graduated from high school one Friday night. We got married the next Friday night. But where we come from, down in the sticks... That was normal. <laughs> might, might not sound too normal up here, but <laughs> cotton country where we're from, it was normal. Uh, when Pastor Joe asked me to fill in for him, uh, we decided that this message would be the first in a series called Unshakable. So if you'll take your notes or if you'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, what I'm going to do is a Bible study with you from chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll begin in verse 3 and we'll go through verse 10. Now, this message stems from a word that Pastor Joe has heard me use all of his life since, since the time that he was born. Because early on in ministry, I came across this Greek word that became my favorite biblical word. Now, you can imagine of all the words in the Bible, all the verses, all the chapters, for a word to jump out at you. And I'll get to that word. I'll put it on the screen in a, little, in a few minutes. And it's Greek, anglicized Greek form. I don't want to put the Greek, the Greek up there because you couldn't read it. But we'll put the anglicized Greek form of it. And that word is the word that I'm going to emphasize this morning. And we translate that word, steadfast endurance. Actually, in your Bibles, if you have an older version, the word might be translated patience. But there are two biblical words. One means actually patience and the other means steadfast endurance. In the King James Version or in older versions, those two words are mixed up. But in our, in our way of thinking, patience is one thing, but endurance is another thing. So I'm going to talk about the endurance side of patience this morning. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, and we put the text on your sheet so that you could read it. And if, if you'd like to read it aloud with me, uh, off the notes, that's fine, or off the screen if you can see that well. Here's what it says, giving no cause for offense in anything, in order that the ministry be not discredited. 
but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well known, as dying yet behold we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. And we're going to talk about this idea of being unshakable, being men and women of God that are not shaken by what comes about in our lives. Every letter that Paul wrote came because of something that happened in Paul's life. Something spurred the letter. Something caused the letter. Second Corinthians is like a self-defense of the apostle Paul because after he wrote 1 Corinthians... And in 1 Corinthians, he addresses some problems in the church. After he wrote 1 Corinthians, the, the, there was a group in the Corinthian church that began to spread false falsehoods, lies about Paul. And they began to question his apostleship. They began to question the fact, could he really... Was he really qualified to write the letters? Was he really qualified to correct them? Was he really qualified to give them direction? So he wrote 2 Corinthians as a defense of his ministry. So he's, lay, he's laying out all these things. He's saying, this is all I've been through. This is what I've seen. This is what I've done because I was called of God to bring the gospel to you. So here in this passage, he starts by saying, let's, let's deal with what character qualities have been developed in us so that we could do the ministry that God has called us to. Now remember the Corinthians looked at Paul and accused him of being a hindrance to the work of God rather than being a blessing to the work of God. And they did that because he had been really straight with them in 1 Corinthians. In, in 1 Corinthians, he's dealing with this problem of this prominent man in the church who's living in an ancestral relationship with his stepmother. Now, that's the problem, and he addresses the problem, and he says, now, if that person won't repent, don't even go to lunch with him if he won't repent. In other words, cut him off. Well, the Corinthians reacted. Some of them responded, you can't do that. So they questioned his ability. They questioned, and they accused him that he was the problem, not the man living in incest, but he was the problem. So he writes this book to defend himself, and he starts this passage with a phrase that says, giving no cause for offense in anything. Don't be an offense to the work or the kingdom of God in any way in order that the ministry be not discredited. Well, I've looked this up in a number of different translations, and I want to give you some of those this morning. First, we don't want anyone to find fault with our work and so we try hard not to cause problems. And it's simply saying, as Christians, we want to work so that we bring glory to God, not so that people can find fault with our mistakes. 
And in the Living Bible, the old Living Bible, the one back in the 60s, it says this, we try to live in such a way that no one will ever be offended or kept back from finding the Lord by the way we act. We don't want to be a stumbling block so that no one can find fault with us and blame it on the Lord. Isn't that something? Some, some people would say, well, I'd be a Christian, but you, you, you did this, you did that, you said this, you did that. The apostle Paul says, we want to live in such a way that no one can point their finger at us and say, you caused me to turn away from Christ. And then from the New Living Translation, which is a much newer, and by the way, a really good translation, the one that Pastor Joe uses most Sundays. It says, we live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us and no one will find fault with our ministry. He says, you and I need to determine to live in such a way that we are not a detriment to the kingdom of God. And finally, in the New International Version, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. So it causes me to pause and say, what, what character qualities do I need to develop so that I will not become a stumbling block? What is it that needs to happen in my life so that as I live my life, my life will bring glory to God and will not be a stumbling block that would inadvertently cause someone to lose faith in Jesus Christ, or that would keep someone from ever coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, I turn to these verses and it says, we give no offense to anyone that our ministry may not be a blame, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. And the very first thing Paul says, in much patience. And again, I want to stop with that word because that's the New King James Version and it's close to the King James, uses the word patience. This, the Greek word right here is not the word patience. The Greek word right here is the word steadfast endurance. You see, there is an all-encompassing Christian quality that's mentioned here that is mentioned dozens of times in the New Testament. Now, I'm going to put the word up on the screen for you so that you can see the word if you have that next slide. I have it in a cross stitch that one of the ladies in the church I pastor did for me because she heard it so often. <laughs> in the Greek, it's pronounced this, hupumone. Now, if you look at, it's a compound word. The first part, H-U-P-O, you know that word because every one of you in here, especially you that have recently had COVID shots, have been stuck by a hypodermic needle. Uh, in the Greek, it's an upsilon, but sometimes when it's anglicized, it's made into a Y. So the first four letters, hypo or hupo, mean under. A hypodermic needle is one that goes under the skin, right? So you know that part of it. Monet is a noun form. The verb is moneo, and it means to bear up under. Like you get a load on your shoulder, and you bear up under the load. You lift the load that's on your shoulder. So this word means to bear up under any load. It means to endure under a heavy, heavy load. So this is this all-encompassing Christian quality where Paul says, in much patience or in steadfast endurance, 
stay to the end. And what it's telling us is that you and I must work, we must endure so that we do not become a stumbling block to anyone. So that everyone who comes in contact with us can become a candidate for receiving reconciliation from God. They can be reconciled to God. Their sins can be forgiven. They can be brought into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So the profession of a Christian believer must be that he or she is not in conflict with his profession, his conduct is not in conflict with his profession of faith. If you're going to claim to be a Christian, live like a Christian. And if you're going to claim to walk with God, then walk with God. Don't let there be that, that dichotomy, that difference in claiming to be one thing, but living, you know, the claim to live for Jesus, but to really live like the devil, that's horrible as far as your testimony is concerned, for Christ. So what we need is to preserve the honor of Jesus by living like a born-again Christian all the time. We are called to uphold the honor of the name that is stamped upon us. And what Paul is saying, to do this, the believer must endure. Now, in, in a couple of old commentaries, uh, probably that most of you don't have, but one of them written by William Barclay, a great Scottish preacher and theologian who wrote the Daily Bible Study series, this s- series of paperback commentaries on the New Testament, but really more like sermonizing on, the, on every verse in the New Testament. And, and he taught me to love this word, that, that, this word that I had on the screen just a moment ago, hupomone. And he says, it's this. He says, it is the ability, the ability to bear things in such a triumphant way that those very things are transfigured to bring glory to God. Now, as you you read this list of things Paul, Paul is going through, what Paul is saying is, we need to live in such a way that when we pass through all of these things, we do not bring glory to those things, but we bring glory to God by the way we overcome the trials we walk through. We bring glory. Well, people stand back and say, well, I, I know what they went through, but I, I can't believe. Look how they went through it. They, they came through with the victory. They came through with joy. They came through with power. And that's what he's telling us here. He said, you're going to walk through these things, but when you walk through them, don't bring glory to the things, bring glory to God. And I just, I just have to tell you, when you testify, don't start, don't start giving glory to all the junk that's happened to you in your life. We've all had that kind of junk happen to us. But start with the story of the Christ who brought you through it and kept you through it and gave you victory through it and sustained you through it. Wow. And another definition, he says that this, this idea of steadfast endurance is the courageous and triumphant spirit that allows a believer to pass through the breaking point without breaking. This has been a tough season. And did you know it's still tough for some people? Doris and I have been praying for 
a young lady who's about 50. She was raised in our church in Columbia, Missouri, where Pastor Joe was raised. 24 years we were in that church, and we watched her grow up, and then she went off and went to school, got married, all of that, now lives in Pensacola. And on about, uh, about six weeks ago, she was tested positive for COVID. And uh, she ended up almost immediately in the hospital. She's been on a ventilator now for over two weeks, hanging between life and death. And our, our friends have been there with her. Their, her. Her parents have been there with her. And we've been praying, hundreds of people praying for her. They're suffering. So her dad texted me the other day. Now, here he is. He's standing by his daughter who's on a ventilator, hooked to a trach in her throat. And he, he writes me a note and he says, I don't know what else can happen. He said, he said, my brother up in Indiana just walked in to his son's house and found his son dead. My, my friend's nephew. Unexplainable. You know, sometimes it seems like troubles and trials pile on. Sometimes it seems like when you, when you just think you've got one thing to handle, you end up with three things to handle or four things or five things or six things to handle. And what the apostle Paul is telling us is that there is a spirit that can come in you. The power of the Holy Spirit can fill you to a point where you can walk through those things and you can, be, you can, you can feel like you're going to break, but the power of the spirit comes and keeps you from breaking. You don't break because there's something in you that won't break. Wow. Well, the Christian does face trials. If you'll go to verse 4 and 5, it starts, it says, in tribulations, in needs, and in distresses. I call these three internal conflicts of the Christian life. These things are internal. They're not outside, but they're inside us. The first is tribulations. I define this as moments of extreme physical, mental, or emotional pressure. When you just feel like the whole world is caving in. Extreme physical, mental, or emotional pressure. Paul says, in much patience, you walk through these things with steadfast endurance. Secondly, needs. And I define this word as hardships or poverty. It refers to suffering which simply has no answer. In verse 5, he adds exhaustion, sleeplessness, and hunger brought about by a cause. Now for the apostle Paul, the cause was preaching the gospel into all the known world that he could get to. And in doing so, he spent sleepless nights. He came to a point of exhaustion. He at times was hungry for lack of food, but he was pressing on toward the goal of reaching every city that he could reach with the gospel. Needs. And the third thing mentioned here are distresses. And this is this is defined as extreme pressure, like narrowness of space, like being between a rock and a hard place. So these trials can be faced. How do you face them? Paul says, you face them with steadfast endurance. The implication is that with steadfast endurance, all these things can be turned around into victory. If you go at it with the problem that, that in all these things, you're going to come out on the other side shouting glory to Jesus. If you, if you, get, if you go at it with the, with the Romans 8 kind of attitude, that there's no condemnation 
to those who are in Christ Jesus. And there's nothing that can destroy your testimony if you'll stay true to Jesus. And there's nothing that can put you under if you'll stay true to Jesus. Just stay true to Jesus. You've been made more than a conqueror. The spirit that is within you is greater than the spirit that is coming against you. Stay true to Jesus. He'll take you through. And then in verse 5, I find three external tribulations that come against the Christian. The first is stripes. Stripes. I'd like to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Here's what it says. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders have given me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. The apostle Paul is simply saying, if you want to talk about beatings and stripes, I've been there. So he's saying, you can endure, and this, this I'm telling you because I've been through it, and I've tried it, and I've tested it, and the power of God has never failed me. Wow. He talks about imprisonments. You know, the, the victories that Paul had back in Acts 16 when he's in prison with Silas, and, and they, they've got him locked down and chained down, and all of a sudden there's an earthquake in the in the prison doors swing open and Paul and Silas are singing at the midnight hour and the jailer, I mean, they could have fled the prison, but the jailer said, whoa, wait, what must I do to be saved? So they stop and lead him to Jesus and baptize him in his whole house and set him up to live the Christian life. He spent time in jail just for one reason, because he was true to God. I don't, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm prophesying, but just to tell you, I, I just believe that it's just a simple truth that seems evident that there may be times, especially if you're quite a bit younger than I am, there may be times ahead when you, when you are really questioned about your faith, when you have to really stand for your faith because there will be enemies of your faith that will come against you in a hard way. There is, this morning in Canada, there is the pastor of a Church of God church who is in jail because he had an outdoor drive-in worship service at his church. And the police showed up and took him to jail and put him in jail with a bail so high that he could not pay it. What was he doing? Preaching the gospel to people sitting in their cars with their windows rolled up, listening over their radios. But they just all happened to be on the parking lot of the church. You think, well, that would never happen in America. Oh, well, I don't know. I know we had an outdoor service when I was helping up at Kettering a couple of outdoor services, and before I ever had one, I called the health department for, for Kettering for Montgomery County, and I said, this is what I want to do. Can I do it? And they said, as long as people maintain social distance. I said, how about if they're in their cars with their windows rolled up? Oh, that's good. That's good. So we blasted away on a, on a, on a, a transmitter that covered our parking lot, but we didn't know it covered, well, it covered more than a quarter of a mile away. People were listening <laughs> Down home, we'd say, there's more than one way to skin a cat. <laughs> and the third thing mentioned here in this verse is tumults. And by, by tumults, what he means is this. He means the press of the mob. He means riots. 
there are eight times in the book of Acts that a mob gathered to take, to take offense at Paul and his preaching. He faced mobs of people eight times simply because he preached the gospel. But every time he faced them, God brought him through it. God brought him through it. So we practice steadfast endurance because that means by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can keep on going when it seems like it's impossible to keep on going. And then verse 6. Verse 6 gives us three qualities of the mind of the Christian. It says, by purity, by knowledge, and by long-suffering. When it uses the word purity, it means moral purity. It means holiness. Some have translated this word purity into this, single-mindedness, having your mind just set on God, set your mind on things above and not on things on earth, the Scripture says. So this means living up to the standard of the word of God, intentionally setting yourself up to live after God. And then the second word is knowledge. And this means saving knowledge. It means the knowledge of the power of God through Jesus Christ to set your sins away and to set you free from them. It is saving knowledge that is freely offered to anyone who will confess their faith in Jesus Christ. It is knowing what must be done and how to do it. That is, knowing how to step out of the old world into the new world. I love the way the, the, the way the Apostle Paul puts it in Corinthians. He says that we're translated from the kingdom of light, in, I mean, kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And the word translated means picked up lock, stock, and barrel and moved. Wow. And this knowledge of God can help us be picked up out of our old life and simply transformed planted into the new life, which is in Jesus Christ. Wow. The third word mentioned is long-suffering. This is a biblical word. This word is coined in the Scripture. This was not a word before it came out in Scripture. Long was a word and suffering was a, long, was a word. But, but to put this word together, it means patience and kindness combined, patience and kindness combined in a way that continues over a long period of time. It is the forbearance which endures injuries and evil deeds, but is not provoked to anger. I think Paul mentions this in reference to the strife exposed in the Corinthian church back in 1 Corinthians. He, he, he could see how all the evil things people had said about him personally, and he just suffered long. I'm not telling you this is easy. I'm not telling you any of this is easy. It is not easy to have people say bad things about you and to suffer through it. That's really hard. It's especially not easy to have people say bad things about you and you not get angry at them. That's really hard. Every now and then the Lord brings something to my memory of something I need to, I need to work on, I need to do. There are people that you and I need to forgive for what they did rather than hold umbrage against them in our hearts. We need to let it go. It's not helping us. Suffer long, however long it takes. Well, pastor, how long will it take? It might take till Jesus comes, but it'll be worth it all. It might not all be cured tomorrow, but it'll be worth it all. One glimpse of his dear face, the old hymn says, one glimpse of his dear face will all sorrow erase. It's going to take care of it. 
And then in verse 6, as we continue, three qualities of the heart of the Christian, kindness and the Holy Spirit and unselfish love. Kindness. This is the consequence of what God has done for us. So we think like this, since God forgave me, I should also forgive others. Since I've experienced the abundant grace of God to take my sin away, I need to give people grace just at the same level I have received grace. Oh, me. I wish I could conquer this. I wish I was telling you from my own example, oh, I've done this and it's easy. No, no, no. I don't always succeed at this. And if you do, please write a book. Teach me how. You know, a more common phrase among Christians is uh, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. No, 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 that's Old Testament. Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I tell you. In other words, it changes in the New Testament. If someone slaps you on on one cheek, turn the other. If someone demands your coat, give them your shirt also. Jesus changes it and tells us that's not how we operate We operate from a forgiving spirit. Peter said, how many times? Seven times? And when Jesus multiplies it, it means an innumerable count. It doesn't just mean 490. When Jesus says it, it means time and time and time again, as long as it takes. Keep on forgiving. So kindness, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power by by which Paul does what he does. And the word here is pneuma. The word pneuma, we take like to make the word pneumatic, which means something that's held up by air, or uh, pneumonia, which is the problem with air in our lungs, pneuma. It's this word which means, in the New Testament, means breath and generally is a reference to the Holy Spirit. So my wife and I were helping up up in the Dayton area and we got on 675 one day Clipping along, uh, our, our habit many times is to go to Panera before church. We kind of, we you know, we feel better about worshiping God after we've had a bagel. Just. <laughs> so we're, we're on our way to the Panera out on Wilmington Pike on 675, and we get to uh, 725 there on 675 in the Dayton area. And uh, clipping along in our, in our little car, and the car we had then had these low-profile tires, which are a headache. But anyway, they had them, really low-profile tires. And all of a sudden, boom, we hit something, and the light comes on. And then we notice we're in a line of seven cars, all of which hit that same thing. Somehow, a chunk of concrete got turned over, and a metal rod that went through the concrete got turned up. And our little low-profile tire went over that. Not only did it destroy the tire, it destroyed the wheel. And uh, fortunately... uh, Sandy's towing or somebody came by right about then. Wouldn't you know it? And for the very low price of $69.95, they changed our tire. (laughs) Do you know what I found to be true? A tire will not keep your car up off the pavement if it doesn't have air in it. True? But you can put that 40 pounds or 32 pounds or however much air is required by the tire manufacturer in, and the the air will raise that rubber tire in such a way it will lift that wheel up so that your car will run smoothly down because the 
pressure, PSI, the pressure inside that tire is greater than the pressure of the weight of the car coming down on the tire. Can you imagine? Did you know when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, no matter how heavy the trouble is or how heavy the trial is or how big it is pressing on you, the power of the Holy Spirit lifts you up above that so that you can run on down the highway. You can do what God's given you to do because he that is in us is greater than he who is opposed to us. Have you heard that? Whoo. The songwriter says he's the wind beneath our wings. However you put it, he's the pneuma. He's the breath of God that causes us to have the strength to rise up above the trials and to continue to operate because of the power that thrusts us forward. And then Paul says, sincere love. Sincere love. He means unselfish love, sacrificial love, the love that sent Jesus to the cross, the kind of love that we must have for others. And then in verse 7, there are three pieces of equipment that are provided for the Christian. The word of truth. This is the word of truth. If you ask, what is the will of God? It's contained in this book. And until you've read this book, you don't know the complete will of God. I've had people walk in my office as a pastor to counsel them. I've had people walk in my office and say, now here's my problem, but pastor, don't just get that Bible out and open it and tell me. And I would simply say, then I'm sorry, I can't counsel you if I can't open this book because everything I need to know is in this book. But pastor, I I looked for something that wasn't in it. Well, every principle that you need for life is in here. It, may not, it, might, it might not tell you which brand of washing machine to buy. And it's, I mean, you say, well, nobody would go and look for something like that in the Bible. Well, they might. You can't tell what funny people are going to do. You... But every principle you need for life is in this Bible. If you're praying for the will of God, get your Bible open. God will speak to you from a verse. God will speak to you from a passage. God will speak to you from a biblical story. What we need is the word of truth and its proclamation. We need to hide this word in our hearts that we might not sin against God. The second thing mentioned in verse 7 is the power of God. That's the power of the Holy Spirit in demonstration. That's the gifts of the Spirit in operation. That's, that's, that's wisdom and knowledge and discerning of spirits. That's that's uh, prophecy and tongues and interpretation. It's all the things that the Holy Spirit has for us already. And when those things are in operation, God speaks to us. And then he says in verse 7, the armor of righteousness, that's the third piece of equipment. And that harkens back to Ephesians chapter number 6, where he tells us to put on the whole armor of God. He's already provided every piece of armor that we need when the enemy comes against us. And then verses 8, 9, and 10, there are nine qualities of the Christian, and I'm not, going to, I'm not going to take the time to really expound on each of these qualities, but just to read them to you, just to, just to give you an idea of what they are. Being honorable as opposed to being dishonorable. I think, uh, how, how is it that in our 
current political situation, lying is exalted over truth. How is it that in our current situation, sometimes, sometimes we excuse the most dishonorable behavior? Sometimes we look over things that ought to cause us to be aghast. Being honorable as opposed to being dishonorable. Having a good report as opposed to evil rumors. Being true as opposed to being a deceiver, telling the truth. Being well-known as opposed to unknown. Living as opposed to dying. I'll never forget the time I was in a particular place and I was preaching a, a, a meeting there in that place and, and a man came up to me that I'd never met before and, and he introduced himself, but he introduced himself with the, by telling me about the worst thing that ever happened in his life. Hi, I'm so-and-so and, and this is what happened to me. This is the worst thing that ever happened to me. And I, I thought to myself, do I want the worst thing that ever happened in my life to define me? Do I want that to define me? Or do I, wa do I want the saving grace of Jesus Christ to define me and the power of God to define me? I want, you to th I want you to think about me what you would think about Jesus if you could. Because they said everywhere he went, he did good. How about, what if that was our testimony? I was with him and oh, it felt good. That's one of the reasons why Doris and I, even though we haven't been here since Easter, we're really good church members. <laughs> I've been preaching almost every week since then and, uh, or doing some kind of duty and so had, me out, had us out. But we love small group because you get in a small group and you get to know people. You get to hear. You get to sort of rub, sometimes rub a little chafing occurs when you feel your will against, against the real will of God and what's happening. You need to expose yourself to people that love God so that you can know what it means to live the righteous life. Living is as opposed to dying, chastened but not killed. Rejoicing in place of being in sorrow. Poor yet making many rich. I was in my office one day and Columbia, Missouri, when I pastored there, and uh, I pastored a large church, and Doris and I uh, have been blessed of God. I've been especially blessed of God because Doris is an accountant. I can barely count to 10, but she's an accountant, and God has so blessed us, and I got a card at the church. It happened to be our anniversary. And the card was from a pastor who pastored a really small church not far from us. And he had to work a second job nights. He pastored the church, but he had to work a job through the night, many nights during the week. And he wrote me a note. And he said, dear pastor, we just love you so much. Here's a gift. And enclosed in that was a $10 check. And I knew, I knew the situation of this pastor. And I thought $10 was a whole lot more to him than it would have been had I sent him a $10. Not that I'm, I was anybody, but just the situation of 
the difference in the churches we were pastoring and the situations we were in. And then it struck me. It struck me that this man had a giving heart not based on his financial status, but based on the God he served. It's different when you give out of your need and you get out of your, give out of your abundance. Do you hear me? This brother had given out of his need, but he gave by faith because his God, the God he served, was rich and had an abundance. It was hard for me to take that check and cash it. And yet I recognized that it was the right thing to do for him, for me to do that. But I felt like I was holding something holy. I'm telling you, folks, our giving is not based on our current financial status. It's based on God's supply. And you cannot outgive God, and you cannot figure out how God repays. And the minute you think you've got God figured out, he'll show you you don't. <laughs> and the minute you think you can add up like God adds, you can't. Or multiply like God multiplies, you can't. So we're poor, but we make, we're made rich. And those of you in this room that know Jesus Christ are rich beyond measure because of the faith that you have received. Regardless of what's in your bank account or not in your bank account, you've got more than enough because he will always be more than enough for you. Four things I want to use to apply this if you'll put up those applications. Number one, I'll set myself on a path to develop godly character and godly qualities. It might take getting up 30 minutes early or going to bed 30 minutes later. It might take giving up something that you've been doing. I, I won't even begin to say what you might have been doing because all of us do different things and what's right for you may be wrong for me or wrong for you and right for me. But it may take just, a, a, just looking at your calendar. There's a, there's a good secular book. The fellow who wrote it died some years after he wrote it in a freak bicycle accident up in Washington State, but the book is called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by a man named Stephen Covey, who was a Mormon professor at Brigham Young University, but a great writer. And one of his, one of his outlines in that book, Seven Habits, is to take your weekly calendar and put the most important things on that calendar first, and then fit everything in around it. And what we have to do as Christians is to put our walk with God and our, well, I put my, my personal time with God, my care for my family, my walk with God, my church, those things all go into the calendar before I add stuff on. <laughs> and if I get down and I don't get to do some of my favorite stuff, which may be different than that, then that really doesn't matter if, I've, if I work, I do my work, if I take care of my family, and if I serve God with my whole heart, I've got to plan to do that. Make an appointment with God and keep it. Set yourself on a path to develop godly character qualities. Two, I will specifically address the current shortcomings in my character. If you, if you don't know what they are, ask your spouse. Give them a... Give them a get-out-of-jail-free card and then ask them. 
<laughs> I'm, I, I think I'm joking. <laughs> but that seemed to hit home. Hit home. <laughs> Ask someone to be very honest with you and frank with you and give them a free pass, sure enough, to just be really honest with you. And then work on the things that they share with you. I'll never forget, Doris and I were traveling up Highway 44, Interstate 44, between Springfield, Missouri and St. Louis, and I got a phone call. I had been in a very difficult meeting the day before. And in, in one part of the meeting, I'd gotten a little loud. I don't know if you could imagine me being emotional, but I'd gotten a little loud in the meeting. And one of my friends who pastored in Kansas City was also in the meeting. It was a big committee that was meeting at the headquarters in Springfield. My friend named Lowell called me on the phone while we were traveling. And he said, Gary, I got to talk to you. He said, you know the meeting yesterday? I said, yeah, Lowell. And these were his words. He said, you're better than that. I felt, I felt like crawling under my steering wheel, but I was driving. <laughs> you're better than that. Give someone permission to tell you, you're better than that. Give someone permission to put their finger right in your face and say, you're better than that. You're a child of God. You're redeemed by the Lamb of God. You're filled with the Spirit. You're better than that. You're better than that. Number three, I will submit to my spiritual leaders, mentors, and coaches whom I will allow to speak boldly into my life. Thank you for taking my son Joe and his wonderful family as your pastors and respecting him and loving him and calling him pastor. But I know Joe. One of these days, he'll say something that'll ruffle your feathers a little bit. Pastors do that. I did that. I think he will. Love him. Submit. Go to him and talk it through. I'm glad I had someone come to me one time. I had spoken a little harshly to a couple of kids at a picnic that we had at our church and a dear friend of mine who was a member of our church walked into my office and he said, when I heard you speak that way, I knew that you were better than that. I, I just believe there are times when we need someone to just speak boldly into our lives and say, you're better than that. You're better than that. And four, I will determine to make it all the way. I will determine to endure. A little later this year, I'll be 75 years old. Yeah, you should feel it. <laughs> I've had for years as one of my, the, one of the parts of my mission statement to endure to the end. Because he that endureth to the end will be saved. I wouldn't mind to go out preaching. Not, not, not right now, not this morning. Just create a little bit of a scene. <laughs> However the Lord chooses to take me, I just want to stay true to him until I make that transition. One of these days, I'll get to a right turn. There'll be a sign pointing toward heaven. And when I turn right, I'll pass from death unto life. That right turn will take me into a new existence. Same state. I'll be saved now. I'll be saved then. But I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Are you with me? You'll make that right turn into heaven, and I want to hear him say somewhere down the line, well done, Denbo. 
you were faithful over a few things, I'll make you ruler over many. Well done, Denbo. Enter into the joy that the Lord has prepared for you. Because he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. Unshakable in our faith. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads, please? Heavenly Father, we read all of these words that the Apostle Paul wrote, knowing that he went through really difficult times, and yet he stayed true to the cause of Christ. And it makes us think it's possible for us to bear up in, under any circumstance and still stay true to Christ. Will you help us? Will you help us, Lord? Will you fill us with your spirit? Will you just give us strength? While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed all across this room, if, if you feel what I feel, you, you feel you need the Lord's help. Pastor, I'm facing something right now that I really need God's help in facing. I don't want to stop serving God, but I'm facing something that's really a dilemma in my life, and I just need prayer. And I just want to confess it to God this morning that I really need him to help me at this hour. If you feel that, like that, like I do, would you just lift your hand and hold it up for a minute? Just with me, I've got my hands up. Just lift it up. You don't need to look around, but you can just lift it up. Father, see my friends with our hands raised? We're facing some things that are, they're trying to stop us from serving you, but we confess that you're all we need, that we can face the hard trial if you're with us, that we can do it if you'll fill us with your spirit and hold us up over this hard road that we're facing. Touch us, Lord Jesus, and give us strength today, we pray.